0: Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that Paul's approach to evangelism is to begin with the wrath of God. Today we'll see that this is the approach used throughout Scripture, and then we'll look at a few groups that hate this approach.
1: I'd like you to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and I want to continue a reading of this chapter. And let's begin once again with the verse 18. And then we'll read a few verses and come back to our text. Verse 18, Paul writes, He said, For the wrath of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be made may be known of God is manifest in them for God have showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse I wish that somehow I could read from verse number 18 to chapter 3 and verse 20 because that is one segment and dealing with one particular theme but I just wanted you to get a a gist of what is there and then we'll come to deal with it at some future time but I want to go back to verse number 18 this evening I want to say to you that it's a very striking fact that when it comes to Paul writing his thesis on the gospel salvation, because that's what the whole book of Romans is, if you don't know about the whole, the theme of the book of Romans is salvation. That's the whole book. But it, it is the most remarkable thing and one of the most striking, but when Paul begins talking about the gospel, where he begins and what Paul begins with, He begins with the wrath of God. And I want to ask you this evening, how many people today begin there? You notice that Paul does not talk about people living defeated lives and promising them victory. You notice that Paul doesn't talk about some marvelous experience that this person would encounter Uh, And and therefore, there's no mention. You know that Paul doesn't talk about the matter of human happiness. You want to be happy? Trust Jesus. Have Jesus. You know that Paul doesn't talk about realizing your full human potential. Jesus can help you achieve your highest potential. None of that is here. You know that Paul doesn't talk about, hey, you want a better tomorrow. You notice that Paul doesn't say, you know, listen, God has unconditional love for you. It is not there. When Paul begins this whole matter, he begins with the realization of God and man's relation of God and that man is on the raft. This is a staggering fact when you think about how Paul begins this discussion. The point I want to point out is, is that Paul's approach to the gospel is never man-focused. It's always God-centered. He's always thinking about man in relation to God. And that relation to God, the unsaved man's relation to God is under, he's always under wrath. That's how Paul understood it. And I'm emphasizing this tonight because our method of evangelism needs to change. And how we approach people in our thinking. We'll come to uh, people who object to that approach. And who say, who say, you know, pastor, that might have been good for the first century world. A hundred years ago, you can approach that way. But, but we're living in the modern age. I'll turn people off. Here's your problem. Here's your problem. You think salvation is about you. That you can save people. What you've forgotten is there's someone called the Holy Spirit. That he is the agent of Salvation. And we can never go wrong by following the biblical approach because the author of the book is not Paul. The author of the book is the Spirit himself. So if we follow his method, he will honor his method. So don't panic about we turn people off if we say those kind of harsh things. I would suggest to you, my dear friends, about time that the modern world be given a shake-up call. Because, listen to me, they are at ease and Zion, and they are on their way to hell and it doesn't seem to matter. To them. Don't, can't wake them up. See? Because we are presenting a gospel that is attractive. See? That it appeals to their carnal nature. We are not approaching it as people who have a herald from God, the God of heaven. Who says to speak to them and say, escape the wrath to come. Repent. We've changed the whole approach. And because of that, we're now reaping what we see today. There is no way in the atmosphere in which we live that anybody can go down to a country, minister to forty thousand people in a school, and within a month nine thousand people get saved. Doesn't exist. See doesn't exist. And the way you do that is you bring in a rap artists, you bring in all you kind of to, to get the young people going and get it, and then after they all get excited, then you say, "I preach the gospel." It is a deceptive way of preaching. Listen, let me tell you something that offends me greatly from the pulpit. We've had speakers who, in the invitation, would say to our people, "I'm not going to embarrass you tonight. I'm not going to ask you to come forward tonight." But I'm going to ask you close your head and I'm going to ask you some serious questions. <laughs> huh? Close your eyes, sorry. And I'm going to ask you some serious questions. And then they begin to ask questions. Now they already told you I'm not going to embarrass you tonight. I'm not going to call you forward. But then they, they, they put pressure on you. Uh, and they say, do, do, do you have something in your life that needs fixing? Who doesn't have something in your life that needs fixing? You just raise your hand. So you you being honest, you raise your hand. See? And uh, you know, uh, and then they say, all I'm going to do is to pray for you tonight. Just, and then when it's all over, they get up behind the puppet and say, now if you raise your hand tonight, and you are serious with God, I want you to come forward. And I am so angry sitting there saying to me, you have just deceived these people. You've just deceived them. I see that happen again and again and again and again. See, That is wrong. See, Totally wrong. See? We must not do the work of the Lord deceitfully. See? And by the way, when a man tells you that if you raise your hand, you need to come forward now. You feel like a hypocrite if you don't come forward. See, you come forward, but you are angry. Because you just told me. All I can do is go pray for you. That's why I raised my hand. Pray for me. But now I raised my hand. You put in pressure on me. If you're truly sincere. Well i sincere. I raise my hand. Because you tell me you want to pray for me. You see how it's so deceptive. The way the Lord's work is being done. And that is what I call deception. So when I heard that. uh, I, I was so. I don't want to use the word broken. But so disappointed. And how many of those 9,000 people really know what they're doing? Who are truly convicted by the Spirit, truly repentant. How many of them? See, And you tell a guy, you get saved. He goes on believing. No, they didn't talk about, hey, you really want to get saved. You know how it's going to affect your life? Are you willing to repent and give up your fornication and all these kind of The drugs and so on and so forth? You willing to do that? None of that is discussed. Now, if you know you're a sinner, and you want to receive Jesus into your heart, I want you to bow your head and say a prayer after me. And that's how it happens. And I'm saying to you, that is wrong. See, wrong. And you said, Pastor Murphy, but that's the way we've always done it. I don't care how you've always done it. I'm concerned about what is the biblical way of doing things. Do you know you can be doing something for, for many, many years that is wrong until some find you, you see that it is wrong? See? Look, I, I, I want to say to you as a pastor, I would love to see this church filled. That's why we try to go on Tuesdays. See? Love to see it filled. But I am not going to get people to make a decision just to come to church. Much more careful because I know one thing, I have to stand before God and give an account for that. Imagine that guy standing up in in that day and say, but he told me I was saved. He told me I was saved. I believe I was saved. Can you imagine a man arguing, but, but God, he told me. I depend on what he said. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, sir, but I don't want to be in that position. And that's why I say that Christianity is far more serious than we make it. It's become like a hobby horse. Drowning the bandwagon. And that's not what the gospel is all about. So what I'm saying to you tonight, that the Apostle Paul doesn't start with the needs of people as such. He doesn't talk about the things that are bothering people and worrying people. He doesn't talk about the particular thing that is getting them down that they need to get lift off their shoulders. He doesn't talk about the general state of unhappiness that they find themselves in. Instead, the apostle Paul begins his dealing with the gospel. And he says to them, listen, the important thing here, you must begin with the wrath of God. That's where Paul starts and that's where Paul begins. Look, if you start wrong, you can never end up right. So you've got to start right. And it's so important for us as a church to understand this epistle of Paul and to extract from that epistle the Pauline approach to this whole matter of evangelism and, and reaching. He's writing to the Romans about salvation, I repeat. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. Question, where do you begin, Paul, dealing with the whole man? You must begin with man's relationship with God. And man's relationship with God outside of Christ is that he's on the rough. He's on the wrath. He's not a good person. He's on the wrath. He's a rebel. That is where we must begin with the gospel. Now may I suggest to you that this is the unvarying method in scripture. Whether you look into the Old Testament or the New Testament, you'll find that this is where the prophets begin. When the prophets are called into scene on the Old Testament to address God's people. The first thing they emphasize is wrath. And then after wrath, they talk about hope and consolation. They never begin with hope and consolation first. It's always wrath and judgment first. And then, when the people are in a frame of mind, okay, if that's the case, what do we do? It is then the prophet begins to say, listen, here is hope, here is consolation. Check it out. Every prophetic book, That you will find when they go to the people of God. You'll find the first section is always about judgment. And then the last section is always about hope and consolation. Never is that reversed. But we have reversed that today. And we've created what I call the monstrosity. Of the modern church. And it is very, very hard to turn that around at this point in time. Uh, I don't want to get aside from this thing again. But you know... Here's something that is a very bad thing that has happened in the church as well that you, you can't correct it now. It's very difficult. You almost hurt people's feelings. A man gets up and a woman begins to sing. And when she gets down, that doesn't belong in the church. Where doesn't belong in the church. See? That's not what the church is supposed to... But how are you going to change that now? You tell me how we can. The only way to change it is that we ourselves got to realize that that is not what we should be doing. You don't have to join in and, and because everybody's clapping, clapping too. Let them see that you don't think it. And then they ask you why? Because she didn't do that to get clapped. She did that to bring glory to God. I hope so. But what has happened? These things have gradually crept into the church. And before you know it, it takes over. Now it used to be that when a person was singing together, but now it's when a preacher finished preaching. They come down. And I will tell you this, I am terribly offended by that. Because that's not the purpose of the pulpit ministry. Your approach and my approach should be thank God for his word. Not thank the pastor. He did a good job, pastor. He already got too much pride. You can give him more pride? You going to give him more pride now? See? Now I hope you see where I'm coming from. And I hope you understand. I'm not here to knock everybody. Because I know people do it because they don't think about it. It's just everybody is doing it. It's just a normal thing. So we keep doing it. But I'm saying to you. We should be mature as a church to know. That there are certain things that we are not, it's not proper in the church. See, without even the pastor having to say that. For what it is worth. That is something I just hope that you would think about. See, Now does that mean if you clap in the church. Are you going to condemn you? I can come after you like a policeman, okay? Let me see if it was Robert. No, 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 no. I'm never that way. Never that way, my dear friend. Look, my job as a pastor is to try to tell you what I believe the word of God teach. And if it is not something unethically wrong that you're doing, I'm not a policeman to make sure that you follow everything I say in that respect. But I'm hoping that the things I say, you hope that I'm not just saying words because I'm really concerned, and I hope you ought to be concerned about the real, genuine state of the church. See, My problem is not the world. I keep telling you that. My problem is not the world. The world is the way it will be. It will always be that way. You can't change the world. You know, when the high prayer, Jesus said, Lord, I pray not for the world, but I pray f- for the people, my people. See? This idea of, you know, praying for the world. I, I, I'm not for that. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm praying for the people of God to get right. Let me shouldn't pray for Putin. No, I'm not saying that as well, but that's not your focus. See. So what I'm saying to you that when you look at the prophetic writings, you never find that they ever begin with the problems of the people. It always begins or the issues that they're going through. The first issue that is addressed is the plight. Of their relationship between themselves and God. And that they are under the judgment of God. And then when the prophet has been to the point where. They are so burdened by the guilt of the judgment of God upon their heads. They ask what must we do. And then he says. Here is hope. And many many times that hope is always related to the Messiah who is coming. That's the prophetic approach. uh, To this matter. And by the way. When you move out of the Old Testament and you come into the New Testament, you see this same principle with even greater clarity. Take, for example, if we begin to trace this whole matter, just in a general way. For example, let's begin with that great man that bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's called the prophet John. Jesus said of him, there's none greater than John ever born. But may I ask you a question? What was John's message when he began his ministry of telling the people of their needs? Huh? Repent. And then he asked the question, who warned you to flee for the wrath to come? He didn't go there and say, hey, God loves you. You have unconditional love. It does not appear in his preaching. Because until a man understands the wrath of God and you bring him to the point of brokenness and repentance, he is not ready to understand love. He abuses that love. Strange the way we approach things and the way the Bible approaches things. The problem is not, the problem is wrong with us. We are the problem, not the Bible. The Bible tells us what to do. But we twist everything because what has happened in the church, whether you know it or not, psychology has seeped into the church. Now you've got to market the gospel. You have to apply principles of business to running the church. Everything, everything, everything has seeped into the church. And those who should be the guardians of the church have allowed it within the church. Until what exists in the church seems normal to people. May I ask you another question? Let's forget John for just a moment. And ask yourself the question, when the master came on the scene. Now, is there anybody more loving than Jesus? As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's the highest expression, the supreme expression of God's love but let me ask you another question when he came on the scene what was his message oh he went around and said hey God loves you God loves you run into the kingdom again the message is repent why do you need to repent you are under the wrath of God I would say to you, there is never an encounter with Christ with anyone, in dealing with anyone, whether in personal evangelism, one-on-one, or in group, wherever he emphasizes the matter of God's love. It's not there. We are too lovey-dovey. We are loving people into hell right now, whether we know it or not. See? And they don't have the sense of gravity of the dangers that they're in. We've made them comfortable in their situation. Not that any moment the wrath of God might burst forth from your head. You know, when something like that happens to you, that you really sense your mortality. That it is possible from what the doctor says to you, that if this is true, and she go online and check it out or whatever it is, those of you who know what multiple sclerosis is, would know what I'm talking about. You become like a vegetable. And I can imagine it's something, but it, it takes something to shock them to bring her to the point where she understands listen, what really is important is not these worldly things I want, but my relationship with God. Amen. That is what is needed. Yeah. And that is why the Apostle Paul emphasizes and begins with his discussion of the gospel with the wrath of God. This is his consistent theme, and I hope to show you that uh in just a moment. And then you notice that when our Lord came on the scene, he didn't tell the people, Look, I I I tomorrow. I am here to to help you to reach your fullest potential. Here are five ways to better you in six days. That's how it is. You listen to any evangelist on the television and that's the essence of what they're saying. This guy that had this happy smile all the time, all seen. oh his smile like a plastic smile. And I am saying to myself, what in the world will he attract people about his message? It's the same old thing, we cycle again and again and again and again. See? Same thing. With, don't take my word for it. Listen to him for a whole week. Yes. And you see it's a recycled package. It's always something positive. Yes. See, Always. Never once as a matter of fact, I was listening to him on an interview some time ago. And the person asked well, him, well, you don't talk about sin. Well, you don't talk about sin. And you know, his simple answer was that, that is not what the Lord has called me to do. Well, if you're a preacher, you're not called to deal with sin, you ain't worth your salt. Because the real problem with man is sin. So if I'm not dealing with the main thing, something is wrong with me. Because the main thing will always be the main thing. Now, by the way, uh, don't what have a good come out of this situation. Like you know, remember when Paul was in prison, and he said, "Here I am in prison. Some preach Christ out of contention, some preach of goodwill." And then Paul said, "What matters to me that Christ is preached? I got no jealousy about those guys. I hope that something they say will have some impact." But as a pastor preaching in the church, my job is to alert you, not to buy into everything that you hear. And that our approach will never be that form of approach. We have to come to scripture, find out what the Bible teaches, and we have to approach the Bible from that particular way. we are trying to trace this whole thing. We begin with John the Baptist. We, we turn to Christ. But let's move to the next stage and we see the, the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And again, what do you find that Peter tells? Man, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do? And Peter said, "Repent." That's what you did because you're under the rock. What do you know? The rock. You're under the rock. Repent. We find this consistent teaching, consistent emphasis, and you can trace it. And by the way, if you leave the book of go, leave, leave Peter and you uh, go into the uh, and by the way, could I say this? Remember that Peter had a very cosmopolitan audience. On the day of Pentecost. As a matter of fact, while uh, doing some information, I went into the book of Acts and tried to trace how many ethnic groups were there. How many different nationalities were there. You can do it yourself. They're almost 15 or 16. And guess what? They had Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people of Mesopotamia. People from Cappadocia and Phrygia. People from Asia. People from uh, Pamphylia. People from Egypt and Libya. People from Cyrene and Arabia and Rome. But you realize he had the same message for all of them? Why? We're all under the wrath of God. He didn't speak to the cultured man and say he's a cultured man so I need to give him a different message. And this is a man that has very little understanding. He's a barbarian so I need... No, 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 no. Barbarian or culture, it doesn't matter. All men are under wrath. And that is why the message remains the same to all peoples. And that if you take the preaching of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 20. We're we're talking about the, the, the following the train of preaching in the scriptures. You know what you'll discover in all of those passages? In every case, you'll find that Paul calls upon the people to repent. He's speaking to the people of Athens, Areopagus. Where you got the stoics and the Epicureans, the philosophers, listening to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and you remember that some of them mocked the apostle Paul. This man has set forth a strange new doctrine. And then Paul comes and said these words the God of appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And he has given proof of that in that he's raised Christ from the dead. Judgment again, he's emphasizing. Now these are people who have no biblical background whatsoever, these are Greek philosophers. But he understood that you can be a Greek philosopher. You have to have the same age. Because I'll tell you something about every man. No matter where he is. He has a conscience before God. And he knows he's guilty before God. He knows that. That is always on the side of your argument. So anyone you're dealing with. I don't care who that person is. He's conscious. That he's a rebel. And that he's lived his life for himself. And that he stands guilty before a holy God. That, sir, is on your side before you even say a single word to that person. There's the human sense of guilt that is there. You know why? Because God has implanted something called a conscience. Pre-programmed you, sir. That when you do wrong, something goes off like a red light. Every man has that within him. So when Paul is dealing with these guys, he doesn't go into all the details about the Jewish background to the gospel and so on and so forth. Paul just says to them, Listen, you're under the wrath of God. Judgment is coming, and God commands you to repent. Same message. That's the New Testament teaching. Now, I am going through all of this for one singular reason. This part of the gospel is the most hated and the most disliked part of the gospel. And there are three groups that have a different attitude towards this matter about God's wrath. One is what I call the unsaved person. To them, it's unfathomable for God to be a God of wrath. They have reached the conclusion that if there is a God, He must be a God of love. So how do we, how do they then look at this biblical teaching about the wrath of God? And, And what they do basically is that they say, This is unsafe, people. They say that what has happened is that... And this is the psychological term that is used, by the way. That what has happened is that... We have projected a human image on God. And let me explain how it happened. You see, what has happened with you... Is that you were brought up with a very harsh daddy. He was a killjoy. He ruled you with an iron stick. He stopped you from doing everything you want to do. Your daddy was a bully. So what has happened is that... What we have done about God is that we've projected this image of man and we've put it onto God. That's how they explain this idea of the wrath of God. See. In other words, it is just a psychological move, as it were, of humans projecting the harsh, austere father and putting that attribute towards God. That is how the unsafe person begins to deal with it. Let me give you another way that people deal with this matter. Is what I call the liberal theologians or the modernists. They object to the whole idea of God. As a matter of fact, they call the Old Testament God a bloodthirsty God. An angry God. By the way, I'm not caricaturing what their sentiments are. I'm quoting exactly what they say in their books. And how they explain this idea of the wrath of God. They say that it's a remnant of the Old Testament tribal God that we have taken over and carried over to the New Testament. Now what bothers me sometimes, how can a man claim to be a Christian, refer to the Old Testament God as a tribal God and that that we have taken the the remnants of an old tribal God and transferred it to the New Testament and talk about the wrath of God uh, how, how, how a person can do that in their mind and still claim to be a Christian, I don't know. But that's how liberal theologians deal with it. See. And what they say is that when we come to the New Testament, the, the God in the New Testament is not the same as the Old Testament. See. And the problem with the God in the Old Testament, he was a, a tribal God that belonged to Israel, but we have now got the, the real living God. And they try to drive, drive a wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now I'm talking people who teach in schools. I'm talking people who teach in seminaries. Who, who prepare pastors for the future. See, That is why they come out from the pulpit and they're using the word God. And you figure they mean the same God you mean. But they're not using the same God you mean. They're using God language, Bible language. But they're using it with a new meaning. So when a guy comes out and he begins to talk about God, you've got to ask the question. tell me who this God is. Because he's he using the same land. And you think on the same wavelength. And you're mistaken. See? It's God talk. And they say with the apostle Paul. Well how can Paul talk about the wrath of God. And their argument about how to do it. They said you know Paul was a Pharisee. He became a Christian. But he never shed his Old Testament ideas. And he fostered this residual idea of a tribal God. And he put it on the God of the New Testament. Now, what's the problem with that? To them, the Bible is just an ordinary book. It's not inspired by God. And therefore, they could come up with these forms of interpretations. But let me mention one other one quickly, and then I'm going to come to a close. It's what I call evangelicals who say they believe in the wrath of God, but in practice, they deny it. I'm referring to people who says to you, Don't emphasize that part of the gospel. Because it will turn people off. People who say, you know what? Young people are different than young people a hundred years ago. You might have talked about the wrath of God and made young people tremble. But if you mention the wrath of God today, you will just turn them away for the gospel. So what you got to do now is to market your... Gospel, make your gospel attract. Now these are people who say they believe in the wrath of God. But they are ashamed of emphasizing the wrath of God. That is where evangelicals are. And now what they're doing is that they're now coming up with a new marketing strategy to get the gospel So it's not uncommon that when you see meetings that are being held, you see posters that say things like this. Dynamic preacher. Lively music. Special artists will be here. Very practical messages. Come and have a jolly good time with us. And what we've just done is sold out the gospel when we do that. Sold it out. And that is really, really the tragedy of our times when it comes to the evangelical church. So what they say that, you know, we must offer Christ as a friend, as a helper, as a sympathizer, as one who understanding, make Christ a buddy to these young people. And what we have done, we have robbed God of his majesty and his glory, man of his Dilemma and predicament before God. In order to market our gospel to people, we who say we believe in the wrath of God by our practice actually denies it. And this is the real problem. You know, I I can deal with the unsaved man, and I understand he's trying to psychologize the concept or the talk about projecting. We projecting our idea of our harsh fathers and God. I can deal with a liberal who really is an unsaved man, but going to. These seminaries and going to church, but they're simply unsafe people. They're not safe people. They don't believe in the Bible. They believe the Bible is a human book. And that is why they can come up with this idea of draw a class between the New Testament and the Old Testament. But yet, they're in the pulpits, they're in the seminaries, they're teaching our people. I, I can understand those people that are lost. But what I cannot understand is the one who claims to be an evangelical and seem to be ashamed of speaking about divine wrath as far as God is concerned. Now, do you notice something? Do you see how it is so easy to believe the gospel and then begin immediately to allow human wisdom to come in? Human strategies to come in. Human psychology to come in. And then marketing techniques to come in. See? You see how easy it is? And that is why we need to guard this Message and guard this teaching. Now I'll close with this because I know we got to do uh, what I want to do. Uh, what I wa- else What I want to do is to go into the Book of Romans itself and show you that ten different times, not once, not twice, not three, ten different times in this epistle, Paul emphasizes the wrath of God. Ten different times. Okay. This is the man who's writing about the gospel, you know. The whole book is about the gospel. But 10 different times in 16 chapters, the Apostle Paul emphasizes the wrath of God. And I was going to pick that up with you, but I'm not going to do that tonight. We won't have enough time. I want, just want to close with this. Now, Paul is coming to Rome. He wants to come to Rome. He wants to share the gospel with them. Paul, he is hindered hitherto. So Paul decides, I can't get to them and speak to them face to face. So I'm going to tell them exactly what I would have told them if I I was with them. And Paul knows that he has to begin dealing with the gospel. He has to begin with the wrath of God. But you know, he doesn't sit down and say, well, wait, will this offend those people? Is that going to turn them off the moment I begin this way? It never passes his mind because Paul had confidence in one thing. The Holy Spirit was the agent to bring about conversion. See? Our problem today is that we think we are the ones that are going to do it. So we have to market our techniques to create interest and make it attractive. So that people can swallow the pill that we give them. See? That was not Paul. He didn't you know, he didn't scratch his head saying, you know, if I write about this now, you know, I wonder what these people are I'm going to turn the entire church off. And people are no, 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 no. He knew one thing, and that when it comes to the gospel, you start there. Failure to start there creates what we have today. See? So we can have somebody, uh, a group of people coming down to the islands, going into our schools, bringing in rap artists and all different types of people to get the young people aroused. And then we can, we can tell them, you know, all right, now, 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 you, now you've done that, let's say a word to you. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus loves you, you know. Do you know Jesus loves you? Oh yes, Jesus loved you. Do you, do you, do you, do you not think about you to, to trust him? Would you like to trust him now? The young people already stirred up. See? And then one hand goes up. And when you see one hand goes up, the other young people put their hand automatically. All right now, every one of you, if you mean business, now I don't know what business you mean. I know God loves me. And I need to trust Jesus. But what other business is? I, you know, so what happened? I, I go ahead and I go through and I say a prayer. And then these fellows come back and they write all these statistical data. They send it up to headquarters. And when headquarters see that, wow, 9,000? Woo! Shoot. Woo! See? Does that bother you? Does it really, really bother you? To see a thing like that happen. It should. It really, really should. Brethren. That's why it is so important. To grasp. This great book. See. It helps to put the whole. Matter of evangelism. In perspective. For us as a church. Let us follow the example of Paul. See. His approach. Rather than. Some human approach. Because what Paul tells us is the approach is not the human. It is the spirit that led Paul to write this book. If you believe that, there's only one approach. That is the biblical approach. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who sat and listened. We trust that in some measure, we have allowed the truth to soak into our bones. So that we begin to allow the truth to change our minds and change our thinking. Change in the way we do things, our approach, our methodologies. Help us not to buy into the new marketing strategy that are being foisted on the church. Help us to understand that you have told us exactly what needs to be done. You have told us how it needs to be done and the approach to this matter and help us to know that it is wisdom to follow your word help us to guard against these modern things that are allowed to take over the church modern approaches and and help us Lord to have a discerning spirit about these different methods help us O God we love you We want other people to know you. But help us not to cheapen the gospel in the interest of numbers. Help us to be concerned that when we leave that individual, that person has an understanding of the state before God, the need before God, the danger before God, and the consequences of putting their faith and trust in Christ. It is a new life. They are a new creature. Help them to understand that. May we, as your people, follow your principles and not subjugate your principles to human ideology. We thank you that you have given to us a sacred book. You have not left the church to meander in its darkness to try to find ways and means of doing your work. You've given us a manual that is to be our guide and instruction. Now Lord, use your word in our lives, in our hearts and help us as we evangelize and we witness and we soul win that we follow the biblical approach. The results might not be as numerous but the results will last because it has done God's way. And that's what we should be concerned about as a church and as a ministry. Thank you for these dear people sitting and listening. And I trust, Lord, that it has been profitable to some extent in grounding them in the principles of your word and especially in the methodology by which we approach evangelism and outreach. We pray these things
0: in Christ's name. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the ways God has revealed his wrath. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua.